KSW 90.9 FM and CMRU Radio in Mohinsis, Calgary. Welcome to Indigenization across the nation. I'm here with the band third generation from Siksika Nation. Uh, could you all introduce yourselves? Uh, hello, I'm Lennon Owlchild. Uh. I'm Hannah Owlchild. I'm Erin Manyhoods. <laughs> and uh, they are a triad a trio, a rock trio. Uh, two guitars, or, or so one bass. One guitar. One guitar. And uh, the drums. And the drums. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that's so awesome. Um, uh, well, c- can you guys tell me the story uh, behind um, the name Third Generation, the origin story? Uh, so Third Generation comes from us being the, the third generation in our family to play music. It all started with our grandpa, Matthew Manyheads, who had a few bands. Um, they were pretty well known and he just he loved music and passed it on to his children. That would be Aaron Manyheads' dad. Um, Lennon and me, Hannah, our mom, and our Auntie Andrea, so they had their own band. They were performing locally. And then when we came along, as we got older, we just really loved music and hearing them. So we started playing instruments just in our free time. And then we decided to take it more seriously. And that's how we got our name, Third Generation, is just kind of paying homage to the history of music in our family. Cool. How did uh, how did the band come together when you guys first started? Well, it was uh, it, it's always kind of been in set in stone because since we were kids, Erin uh, would come to our place all the time, uh, M to her sister, and we just kind of just uh, play around. And I had like this little set that you get from like Toys R Us or something like that, those <laughs> real ugly ones. But anyway, I'd be busy padding away while they're you know because they didn't know any. Uh, instruments at the time so like we're kids right so yeah. they're busy playing their air guitars and everything so we're down there and and it kind of just kept going until I don't know we used to go to Aaron's house for summers and stuff like that and and one time we just thought hey let's just let's try something because our parents would always play in the basement you know stuff like that and we'd always hear it you know and it was wow. always out <laughs> there and and the songs that have been playing, you know, we really love them. And so we thought, hey, let's let's try something. So these two kind of had like a competition to see who can play the guitar first. But Hannah learned it first and then Aaron switched to bass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Which cool. is pretty cool, yeah. So you guys have just always been kind of jamming together. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. You guys make your own music, right? You guys like you guys write your own songs. I heard a couple of your songs. Yeah, we yeah. have um a few that we're working on, but uh the the originals that you may have heard is actually uh our grandpa wrote them. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he, he passed them down to us and uh he said do what we want to with them. Um record them and just have them heard because that's something he never got to do was record them and have them heard by everybody else. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. (laughs) Did did he, like, just write them in his spare time, or did it, were they special songs that came from a special... Well, he always told us that it varied how he was feeling at the time, you know, like, when he was going out with our grandma, and, you know, they were just young, early 70s and stuff like that, and 
just finished meeting my grandma and there's one song which is really nice it's called sunrise and stuff like that and so these are kind of the songs that he kind of put out there to kind of uh reflect on his journey as you know meeting my grandma or even just going on a road and having a good time with the band and stuff like that you know he writes whatever he feels and so uh, so yeah and so a lot of those songs are really good and because sadly he passed away this uh july july 30th or something like that oh, I'm so sorry. yeah but we want to carry out his wish to record his songs and get them out there so people can enjoy them like we enjoy them you know that is so yeah. important. So is some of his songs going to be in your upcoming EP then? Yeah. yeah. Uh, five of them. They're all his. All of the songs? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. We're still kind of shy when we write. <laughs> we're just, we write something, we're like, oh, we'll work on it another time. So, um, yeah, it will come. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. we are pushing that, um, that gate, you know, to kind of open the doors to start stuff. Because we do, we are working on uh, our own songs and stuff like that and yeah. I, I think they'll sound pretty good cool yeah i'm sure they'll sound really cool too yeah. you guys have like a really kind of an indie kind of feel almost yeah and like um have like really unique kind of little <clears throat> strands of melodies i i noticed right. okay. <laughs> i only hear the cgsw sessions online okay. And then I've seen a couple of your shows. Right. <laughs> because, yeah, you guys have a really good sound. Oh, um, okay, so what are a few aspects of music that you all simply adore? Uh, Probably just playing with each other, you know? Um, the feeling of being on stage. Because I could recall uh, the first time we ever played a bar gig was, uh, I think, in 2018. And this is the first time, and uh, Aaron was still underage at that point. And I was probably a couple days before my birthday, before our 18th. And so, yeah, so it's our first time being in a bar. It's atmosphere, the stage, the lights, and everything. So when we first played, it was kind of like a, like a bang where you're just like, oh, man, this is fun, you know? I wish we could do this you know forever kind of thing okay. so yeah cool. i think i think i like I, that aspect of the whole music thing is just playing and making music you know and then i think just uh again back to growing um together through music we started when we were i was 12 aaron was 10 and london was 11 so we we're just beginning and we've made it this far um still trying to figure out who we are really as a band and I think that that's the most interesting aspect is just seeing who we've become with our instruments and with our voices on stage and just sticking together throughout all of this too cool. and just keeping it going <laughs> yeah yeah it's such a momentum mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and uh yeah, the, there are a lot of recordings of us when we were younger, and you can really hear how much um, we progressed now. Now that you hear us play, we can play all our songs much more better than how we first started. And, and with the songwriting, we, we usually just start out with jamming, and then we end up liking the way it sounds. So. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> how would you guys explain the, your sound as a band right now like to somebody that you know, doesn't really know your bands? Um, maybe just like explaining like 
what kind of band you are? How would you explain it as you are now? Uh, still holding on to like the, the classics of rock and roll. Um, I'd say that it, it isn't something that you'd be like, oh, we're, we're totally 70s sort of thing. I think we have modern elements in there too. Um, we're a three-person band, so it's kind of hard to compensate for the, the rhythm and the lead at the same time and just trying to make it as full as we can. So we managed to, I guess, just be loud when we are playing on stage, playing as loud as we can, uh, and I guess just trying to balance each other's sounds so that it isn't too, I don't know, noticeable that we're only three people on stage um and i guess in terms of sound it's very still has rock and roll in it um yeah i don't know that's a good description (laughs) okay um okay so um yeah i just kind of just want to know um about your kind of ep coming up i guess yeah like um when are you guys thinking are you guys thinking about releasing it or like um like when would you guys be releasing it, or uh, what's it looking like right now? Yeah. Uh, well, right now we're um, at a studio, of course, obviously uh, recording cool. uh, certain songs that um, our grandpa wrote, like we mentioned before. Uh, but we're not quite sure when the release date will be because you know it's COVID right now, yeah. and there's a lot of uh, especially school kind of uh, those are obligations we have to follow and stuff like that so it kind of varies on when we have the time to go in and finish some of the stuff but uh, we, I, I know we do try to make time as much as possible to do that cool. and hopefully maybe I'm guessing middle of December maybe we'll have something oh, out really by now soon. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so you guys have really been going at it yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, so we need good. to just finishing touches Hopefully it'll be a nice Christmas gift for anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so definitely we want it soon. We want it sooner than later. I think we've been just kind of holding off for a long time, trying to make sure that it's going to be as perfect as we want it to be for those who have been with us on this journey for the past eight years, our friends, our family, and then people that we've met along the way, different shows. We just want to, I guess, make this the best EP we can put our all into it just to as like a thank you to everyone who's been who's been sticking around waiting for this EP to come out <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. Do, does uh, the reserve at all influence your music oh I I'd say it does because the, the community um, everyone is so supportive and stuff like that when we do play and uh, and they, they enjoy the music and we enjoy playing here a lot too on the res because you know it's it's our it's our people you know we, it's it's our duty to make them smile and dance and you know whatever if they're feeling a bit down or anything you know so Aww. i think the community does really strengthen our ability to play and to just make good music and they they uh they enjoy the the classic dance songs right. <laughs> like yeah. ccr and um, we even do a cover of 
Nancy Sinatra's These Boots Are Made For Walking. Oh, yeah, I see on the yeah. CJSW, actually. Hey, that's on, I think that's on the um, CJSW live sessions. Mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so and Lots of people are going to hear that now that mm-hmm. funding drives around, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. for sure. It's so fun. When we first, uh, when I was telling them, I was like, can we do this song? And they're kind of like, well, I don't know how it's going to sound. <laughs> We've been told our grandparents and our grandma was like, yeah, that'll be awesome. And then. Our, our grandpa was kind of he wasn't too sure if we should actually play that just because he wasn't sure how it was going to sound uh, but when we did he thought it was amazing how we performed it like air and her bass is just mm-hmm. yeah. it's amazing in that and the singing as well oh thank you <laughs> and so when we come back here those are songs that we always get compliments on or the covers that um, they enjoy the dancing and that's what we want to make sure we uh, remember most when we're on stage is just getting everyone engaged into the playing you know even though they're out there watching and sitting and singing along they're a part of what we're doing without an audience there'd be no reason to play so I guess just when we're down here we manage to come back to ourselves and just really play the songs that we know will get everyone excited and going us and the audience as well yeah. Wow, that's a really good. That's a really fun, fun song. Yeah, that's, that's a really good song. <laughs> yeah, it's like Sixika has like a lot of classic rock all the time. Like yeah. it's a classic rock place. Mm-hmm. Like ro- go, like driving down on the back roads and everything, and listening to this classic rock. Yeah, like, yeah. even the Nation Station. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. like all classic yeah. rock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. Okay, well, thank you. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much for this interview. This is great. <laughs> And what he knows you ain't 
Nitaniko Aitsista Mechan Destin. My name is Destin Running Rabbit, and I'm happy to speak today uh, on behalf of the experiences in which occurred out west in the uh, Kamloops area, Interior BC, um, otherwise known as. The people in the area are known as the Shkwapmik, and they refer to the land as the Shkwapmikulu. And I was very grateful to be a part of their experiences. I had worked with them for a few years and uh, basically had earned enough trust to just sort of be a part of their communities and work with their elders and their leaders, which um, led me to work in this camp. And basically, the whole camp had started off with a, uh, with a ceremony, which was known as the uh, canoe journey. The canoe journey started on a Saturday, and we had taken the preparations in order to prepare the canoe and who was going to be a part of it. Um, usually these canoe journeys are much bigger, but because of COVID, there was a lot of restrictions this time. So the, the party was much smaller. And the canoe journey was basically set up as a journey of prayer in opposition towards the TMX pipeline, and also as a journey of prayer in order to highlight some of the issues that were going on in the res, such as, you know, youth suicide and uh, just sort of substance abuse and um Stuff like that, right? There were some incidences that they wanted to pray about and sort of show that the youth were still strong and a lot of them were still getting out there. Uh, the canoe journey started off really nice too with great weather and, you know, our launch was really awesome. Everyone was in good spirits. Uh, basically, we had taken it from the Adams Lake uh, Reservation to Kamloops. So altogether, the trip was, I would say, yeah, about a good 12 hours, right? And um, it was really fun, like, just to see the changes of the land from their reservation all the way to Kamloops. It was fun and both heartbreaking because these people really expressed like the unfairness of the land there and how, say, there's a lot of riverfront properties along that, that river there, the Thompson River, that in which a lot of those houses aren't supposed to be building docks, right? And uh, a lot of them did, right? A lot of them were using that riverfront property, right? And then just sort of, you know, they tell me a lot of stories too of that, just that river itself, right? So really a lot of the stories associated with that would would be connected to sort of Kamloops' build. And, you know, it was really kind of heartbreaking too to see the change of the land from how the res kept it to how Kamloops kept it, right? You just basically see all the pollution build up from that area to the next, right? Yeah. And it just kind of gets more and more gross. <laughs> mm-hmm. to, to eventually we would end our journey um, in the Mission Flats area, which was considered the outskirts of Kamloops, which was right basically right on the front doorstep of the TMX's uh, project area. We landed the canoe there, and uh, yeah, from there on, we ended up holding a music festival just in support of our our journey. And then from that point, that's where we decided we were going to establish the camp, right? We had had all the aunties, we had had all the kia'as, the grandmas, and basically they had given us approval to, you know, establish that camp. So the Sacred Fire Council uh, set up their Sacred Fire. From there on, we didn't really expect to to stay, but uh, yeah, we ended up camping out there for a good two weeks. 
mm. yeah, following that trip. And it was pretty intense, you know. We had started off with a really powerful ceremony, which I think was really great for a lot of us because it really helped build our mental fortitude and connection to each other to sort of, you know, keep tough in, in the times where maybe we were being targeted. Yeah. Yeah. It really helped people sort of connect with us. Yeah. We had a lot of support too. Like I was very happy with the sort of the walks of life that were coming to help us. You know, people from all over the world. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. coming out there to just sort of help land defend and witness and just really see kind of what Canada and how they treat its indigenous peoples, especially mm-hmm. indigenous peoples who protect the land. Mm-hmm. It was really good because these people didn't cross their boundaries. You know, they didn't come expecting anything. They didn't like expecting anything in return. Right? Like a lot of them really just came to help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of them didn't really know what was going on at first, but once we explained to them, they, they really opened their eyes and really, uh, you know, seen the struggles that a lot of these land defenders and their families go through right Mm -hmm. yep especially with the sacred fire council the sacred fire council has been doing a lot of this work for a long time so almost year after year they're they're dealing with something that just is in their own backyards right like whether it be the federal government the extractive industry you know there's always someone messing with them so it just warms my heart to see that they're uh, getting you know support Mm -hmm. and so through that you know, basically, we had set up the camp in hopes to basically halt the project. Uh, with us every day being there, we did slow down the project, but unfortunately, our camp did not stop the project itself. Within the first few days of having our camp, uh, the Sacred Fire Council decided to serve a cease and desist letter on the front gate down Mission Flats Road. And we ended up doing that. And that's when the turn of events started happening. That's when we started noticing more um, police presence, right? We ended up dealing with three different federal agencies of cops. Basically, we dealt with the regular RCMP, the the Kamloops RCMP. Then we dealt with the CRIG, the Community Industry Response Group, or is a team? I can't remember, (laughs) but it was one of them. And then the DLT, the Division Liaison Team. And they seemed like they were a bit more of a higher group of uh, police, right? They they seemed more like suits types and more like less armed, more like... They seem very mysterious. <laughs> they had told us that they were setting up liaison services to basically keep us safe, right? And we questioned them, like, keep us safe from what? You know, like we're we're trying to we're trying to stay safe from you guys, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? That's essentially what we told them. Then that's when a lot of the harassment started. You know, our CMP trucks just constantly like stopping and checking our license plates. Um, they would just like slow down their vehicles on our camp and watch us for a good few minutes. And when we get close, they would drive off, right? We had basically police choppers circling us and flying low on us every day. Uh, on two occasions, we had basically a military helicopter like fly right over us, like really low. We figure, you know, that's just intimidation tactics, right? Trying to scare us. But, you know, just with the amount of support and just the power of the Squamish people, like it unfazed us. You know? mm-hmm. We were strong. Yeah. We, uh, we stayed together. You know, we, we kept in really good spirits. We laughed. We cried. We, uh, you know, we helped a lot of these people see the land for what it was and what these families go through, you know, regardless of all that harassment, right? Like, even though it was kind of rough to see that, like a whole city of Kamloops basically just use its services against us like that. Like, even at one point, the the the, the fire department in two occasions came in and basically helped with the harassment too, right? They had gone outside their bounds and pushed and enforced themselves into our camp too. And we had to kind of chase them out um, you know, a couple times. So it's heartbreaking to see that, you know, this type of work brings out that type of fear in people. And that's one thing we all noticed with these these uniformed men was the look of fear in their eye. 
the look of misinformation, the look of ignorance, you know. A lot of them couldn't look you in the eye, you know. A lot of them couldn't. They would march up to you and intimidate you, but as soon as you got within a length of looking right into their eyes, they would never look you in the eyes. They would look away. They would look ashamed. They would look scared, you know. So it got us thinking, you know, maybe they're just all scared, you know, right? They're all scared of us. Like they don't, they don't know what they're dealing with, you know, they don't, they're probably lied to from their superiors, you know, like we just figure it's all just fear-based that they're working on. And that's why we felt we had a lot of this strength is because we weren't fearful, you know, we knew exactly why we were there. You know, we knew who was helping us. We knew the people we were with were strong. There was nothing to fear, right? You know, so after that cease and desist letter was served, the, the police presence picked up, the harassment picked up, the workers would, you know, yell at us as we passed. Um, so we decided for a day of direct action. And the days following, we ended up doing a ceremony right on their front gate, basically as a symbol to show them that, you know, we're still here and that our ceremonies are basically going to be a part of you and your project and your land, you know, to know that these ceremonies still exist and that the spirits of their ancestors still live in that area and that they're always going to be watched, you know, like even if we're not there, the spirits basically will still keep an eye on them. And you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's basically what these ceremonies were supposed to sort of um, do for the land. And uh, that day was when the arrests happened and the, the police basically mobilized and, and uh, surrounded us. And, you know, we ended up having four arrestees who tied themselves to the gates of the TMX. Uh, they were all escorted, you know really nicely they got female officers for those ladies who tied themselves but um billy ended up getting arrested up the hill on one of the machinery parts and the cops basically like forced her off the machine and no female officers and they dragged her and like they were basically like pulling her clothes off as they were dragging her right yeah it was really sick and just to have like all these big men like surround her and you know really have authority over her it was really it's really gross to watch you know yeah to think that those officers just have so much like of that masculinity, you know, just to do that. And, and they think, weren't allowed to um, nope, do that. Nope. There was no supposed was to unlawful? be. Mm -hmm. Yep. The Shkotmik people act fully within their rights, right? Like they know what they're doing. And the fact that these officers basically just arrested these people, like it, it's not right, you know? So we had our arrestees, but basically um, as we were leaving and we had the people who were basically, you know, doing their stance, um, the cops ended up snatching up three other people that weren't supposed to be arrested, right? Uh, they ended up snatching up the hereditary chief, his daughter, and then another woman from the Shkotmik Nation. Yeah. While we weren't looking, most of them basically just arrested him and put him in the police car. Yeah. Those ones weren't supposed to happen. Those ones were supposed to basically, like, they were supposed to be with us the entire time. So those ones were basically like kidnap is what I see it as. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was bad. We ended up following them all the way to the Kamloops RCMP detachment and waiting in front of their their station for a good seven hours till they were all released. Yeah. And that was basically the, the first ceremony day of action. And yeah, it was pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, the second day, uh, we ended up going back a day or two after. And the, the hereditary chief's other daughter, the hereditary matriarch, she ended up doing a cutting of the hair ceremony in front of the other gate. Uh, that was across the Thompson River on the airport side um, where they're laying the pipe. Uh, we did another ceremony and yeah, she basically cut her hair in front of all of the workers and the cops and they arrested her. Yeah. Mm, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, the days following, that's when we decided to take down the camp because the numbers were just getting small. It was getting cold and we had basically made our stance. You know what I mean? 
we'd made our stance. We let the project know that we're there and we're watching them. We'd done our ceremonies, right? So we had that sort of um, spiritual kind of presence in the area. And that's really what we were mainly there to go do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that was more of a, uh, you know, like I say, just we're letting them know we're here now, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're letting them know the Shaquamik people won't stand for this. The grassroots uh, land defenders won't stand for this, right? And now, you know, the people of Canada won't stand for this too with the amount of support I've seen, right? Yeah. From, you know, old Canadians to new Canadians, right? They were all seeing it, seeing the truth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's all happening on unceded territory. So uh, they have no right to be building these pipelines through this territory, but they just do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it has has to do a lot with corruption and sort of the uh, chief and council, uh, the band councils, basically selling out the lands, you know, I'm not too deeply aware of exactly like who's doing it and like, you know, but, you know, it, it seems to be a trend within a lot of band councils, basically working behind the nation's back, right? Mm-hmm. Or not getting full consent of people from the nation. Yeah. And there's still a lot of hereditary, uh, you know, traditional rights within the Shikopic nation, right? So a lot of these, these rights have to be honored, you know, a lot of these rights have to be respected, right? Mm-hmm. And and that seems to be the problem with a lot of these band councils is they're going beyond that or they're going around it or they're going outside of, you know, the hereditary sort of um, traditions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what some people really don't see is mm-hmm. that there's a difference between the chief and council and the hereditary mm-hmm. chiefs and those that are traditional. There's There's a big difference. People don't understand that there's chief and council is corrupt and mm-hmm. it's not a problem on the reserve. Hey? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the elected chief and council, you know, they're they're pretty much instilled by the Canadian government, right? Like that system is definitely something that's more new to us, right? That's something that's more like uh, politicians, right? Rather than actual traditional chiefs. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing yeah. your truth, Destin. <laughs> yeah, no Thank problem. you so much. Thank you for sharing that story.